You're listening to the Cornerstone Word of Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. For more information on our church, please visit cwol.org. Praise God. Well, God is good. Amen. Amen. God is a good God. Well, I want to start by showing you one more PowerPoint. It's not the same as this morning. There's maybe one or two pictures that are the same, but otherwise it's, uh, this is a general presentation of what we do. You know, Africa, Asia, everything. I put a few pictures together. So let's throw up the first picture and uh, I will. Uh, okay, this is Beauty and the Beast. Uh, <laughs> my wife and myself uh, in, in Africa. She, she goes with me whenever she can. And so this is Britta and me together in, in Africa. And the next picture is, now this is one of my house pets. Yeah. Now, now, people ask me, is this Photoshop? No, it's not Photoshop, neither is it stuffed. It is a real lion. And I actually had to take a course on how to interact with a, a lion with nothing but a stick in your hand. So I actually had, a, you, you can see the stick, you see that in the backwards background? So I, so I know how to, how to handle a lion with just a stick in my hand. And, uh, and I thought, you know, if this preaching gig doesn't work out, I can always get a job at a circus. So, so anyway, so this, so, here's a, so this is me in Africa with a real live line. Now, you must understand, uh, I had to crop the photo on, this, on the sides because there was a man with a rifle right next to me. You know, just, just in case the lion decided to backslide and take a bite of the reverend. And uh, uh, now the, the, the other thing is that they actually, actually you know, uh, lions are interesting because they don't hunt, uh, they don't kill for the sake of killing. They, they only kill when they're hungry. Uh, lions are like that. Now leopards on the other hand, they, they'll kill by instinct, but not lions. Lions will only kill when they're hungry. So before you go out with a lion like this, they actually feed the lion properly. You know, the, the lion is well fed. But, but the lion can be like you. You know, you had a nice dinner. Then you say, oh, I think I feel like some chicken nuggets, you know. <laughs> then you, you roll into McDonald's. But, but uh, this lion did take a look at me, but he didn't touch me because he didn't like dark meat. He was. <laughs> now, you know why aren't there, there aren't too many white people in Africa? because lions are into white meat. I, uh, so I have a slogan, white people, the other white meat, you know. So anyway, anyway, that's just a, something you can remember if you ever go to Africa, you know. So uh, it's not a good time for white people. You know, when I was in, when, when I was in Irianjaya, in, in Indonesia, they told me the same thing. I went to do a crusade in Irian Jaya, and that's the last, one of the last, other than the Amazons, the last place where people still live under primitive conditions in the jungle, walking around naked and all that. So, so they told me that in the interior, they have cannibals. So I said, well, what about me? They said, they only like white people. So, you know. Brown lives matter, you know, so. <laughs> I start my own thing, you know. <laughs> if I've offended some people, I did that this morning, so I'm just kind of on a roll now, you know. So, 
Anyway, anyway, so, uh, so this, and uh, what did I say last? Anyway, let's go to the <laughs> next picture. <laughs> now, this is me preaching in, uh, in Chawama uh, uh, in Zambia. Now, this is interesting because on this field, not in this meeting, but another time, we had 30,000 people baptized with the Holy Ghost at one time in one service. And in fact, I've been back on this field several times. And the last time I was there, something interesting happened because on the last night, I always, always pray for a mass baptism with the Holy Spirit. And that's when we had 30,000 baptized with the Holy Ghost. So this time when the Holy Ghost fell, two things happened spontaneously. I mean, at the same, uh, same second. Uh, one was that the crowd, as the Holy Ghost came, the crowd just burst into other tongues. And at the same time, a creature like a bat. Now in Africa, you have bats, but they're small bats. They're fruit bats. They're small. But this was like, it looked like a bat. It had a five or six foot wingspan. And it had a, it was covered with black bristles and had a human face. And it wasn't me who saw it. It was like thousands of people saw it at the same time. It wasn't something I made up or I imagined. And they, and this thing, the moment the Holy Ghost fell, this thing took off from the crowd and, and went off like, and nobody knows where it came from. So, you know, these are, these are uh, demons. So in Africa, you see uh, uh, demonic manifestations uh, of different kinds. And, uh, you know, and, and this was one of them. And, uh, but, but the thing to remember is that, uh, that the name of Jesus uh, has power over all the, de all the devils, you know, so you have to remember that. That, that is there, because sometimes when you go there and you see, uh, I mean, I've seen some things that, that you, you wonder, you know, and what they teach about demonology here, uh, even what they taught us at Rhema about demons was peanuts, you know. I mean, I saw things that, uh, you know, you, you, you really wonder, what is this? But in each case, in each case, doesn't matter how spectacular, whatever, if we want to use that word, the manifestation was, the power of the name of Jesus is greater than any kind of demonic power. That, that is the amazing thing. Uh, you see the power of the name of Jesus Christ. So, so that demon just took off, I mean, just took off flying and we never saw it again. This was on this field in Chawama. And the next one, this is a, in uh, Manga in Mozambique. This was, this field was in the middle of nowhere and I wondered if anyone would even come. And people began to come and this was the crowd we had in Manga in Mozambique. And the next one is, uh, this is in Lobingula, Zimbabwe, a small little township and look how many people came out to hear the gospel. And uh, the next one is uh, uh, Chawama in Zambia and George in, in Zambia in the second picture. And in fact, the second picture was taken at, uh, at the same crusade when Pastor Hagen came with me. Uh, this is in George in Zambia. And the next one is, uh, this is in, um, in, in the town of Mafambise in Mozambique. This town is, this area is 40% Muslim. And, and the people came in huge numbers. Uh, uh, this, the crowd was the size of three football fields. And I didn't know there were so many people who even lived there, but people came from very far to hear the gospel. And the next one is, uh, this is people getting baptized with the Holy Ghost in the town of George in Zambia. 
And the next one is, uh, this is in, I believe this is in Kadoma, Zimbabwe. Uh, and the next one is, uh, this, is uh, this is one of the pictures you saw this morning uh, from Asia. And the next one is, this is also from Asia. And the next one, uh, now this is in the United Arab Emirates. And we, we, we rented this place and we're holding a meeting and right next door was a mosque. So when these very conservative Muslims, as you can see by their dress, they came and our people said, no, the mosque is next door. They said, no, we are not going to the mosque. We came here. We came to hear about Jesus. So they came and they got healed and they got saved. And this was wonderful. This was in Dubai, actually. Uh, no, not in Dubai, but Abu Dhabi, which is their capital. This was in Abu Dhabi. And the next one is, now this is interesting. This is uh, um, in Asia. And you see these two men, the man, uh, the older man you know, in the background, and the man with his back to us on the left. These two were brothers. And <laughs> this was in, the, in an area with a lot of Muslims. And so they saw the posters and they saw my name and didn't make sense to them because Christopher is Christian and, and, and Alam is Muslim. Actually, the name I was born with was Abdul Nasir Muhammad El Alam El Hashimi. I'm not going to repeat that. And, <laughs> and I, changed my, I changed my name to Christopher because it was much easier. <laughs> and, uh, 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 and before I went to Bible school. So, but, so they saw the name Christopher and they saw the name Alam, which is a Muslim name and it didn't make sense to them. So they were curious and, and they came and these two men, they're brothers, siblings, but they were both paralyzed. And so they came carrying them and God touched both of them and both of them got up and began to walk. So it was, uh, you know, so it, it, was, it was really wonderful. And the next one is, uh, this, is a, this is in Malawi. This lady was completely blind and, and she could see. And I said, touch my nose if you can see me. She touched my nose and a granddaughter behind us thought it was very funny and she was laughing. That's a granddaughter who brought her. And the next one is, uh, now this is interesting. This uh, uh, is a father and son and this boy is about six years old in this picture. So uh, they came to my crusade and the little boy, I think he was three or six months old. He was a little baby. And the father just uncovered one foot and his foot, it was a club foot. It was like the foot was rolled up like a ball and it was turned upward, you know, like this. So instead of being like this, it was rolled up like this, totally deformed. And so he asked me to pray. So I prayed for the foot, then he went away. So the week after I was in another town about 30 miles away doing a crusade, so he came to that crusade. He said, Pastor, look what the Lord has done for my son. And, and, and both feet were alike. So the boy's foot was healed. So anyway, six years later, I was back in that city. So he, he came with his, his son and he came to the back of the platform. He said, Pastor, do you remember me? I said, well, your face is familiar. Then he said, I'm the one. I brought my son. I said, oh, yeah, wonderful. Let me see. So he took up the son's shoe and but it was the wrong foot. It was the other foot. He had even forgotten which foot it was. So because in the, if you look at the original picture, it was the right foot. But anyway, the boy ran around. He was perfectly normal. So I said to him, I said to this man, I said, so what are you doing these days? He said, Pastor, after the Lord healed my son, I gave my life to Jesus. And now I'm pastoring a Pentecostal church here in town. 
So he's now pastoring a church in the, in the town of Chegutu in Zimbabwe. And the next one is, this is, uh, I went to Malawi and uh, there was a, a town called Zomba. Zomba, you can say it was one of the southernmost Muslim towns on the African continent. Uh, and so what happened was that, uh, you see, you've got to understand something about slavery. You know, we, we talk about the slaves who were brought to America. But the slaves who were brought to America were brought from West Africa, you know, Ghana and all those places. But the worst slave trade was not the slaves who were brought here by white people, but the worst slave trade was the Arab slave trade, which was in East Africa. I mean, they, they brought slaves, uh, many, many more, and they treated them worse than slaves were treated here you know, in, in West Africa and brought to North America. So the worst slave trade was the Arab slave trade. Uh, but the thing is with the Arabs is that wherever they went, they, they took slaves and those who they did not take as slaves, they forcibly converted to Islam. And they said, you become a Muslim or we'll kill you. So a lot of these people under duress, you know, they became Muslims. And so the first generation was Muslims, and the second generation, third generation. By the time you reach the second, third generation, these people grew up in Islam, and they are, I mean, they're real Muslims. You know, they're not under pressure. That's their religion. So that's why you, when you go to East Africa, like in Tanzania where I am, you know, the, the, you, you, you go to Zanzibar and, and those places, they're almost 100% Muslim. You go along the coast of East Africa, there's lots of Muslim all the way down to Mozambique. Uh, you will see, uh, you see it's 100% Muslim up north. I've held crusades there. It's totally 100% Muslim. And then you come down, when you come to the middle of Mozambique, uh, to the area of Beira, and you know, inland is kind of 40% Muslim, and it kind of tapers off from there. But the whole of East Africa, that whole area, is Muslim, and I thought, how, how did these people become Muslims? They said, well, the Arab slave traders forcibly converted them, and by the time they reached the second, third generation, they are, you know, they, uh, that's their religion. That's, so they are Muslims, you know, at heart. And, and so now, uh, you see, one thing you have to understand that the oil-producing Islamic countries, they give a portion like we pay our tithes. And I think it's a smaller amount, but they give a percentage of their uh, GDP, the national gross, uh, national project, uh, gross, gross national product, right? GNP, they, they give that as, an, uh, you know, for uh, Muslim missionary activities. They actually support it from the government. So they give a portion, all producing Muslim companies give a portion of the, income to uh, the spread of Islam. And so when you go down to, uh, to places like uh, Malawi, you go to Zimbabwe, you go to uh, uh, Mozambique, you see that they, every 30, 40 kilometers, they have a mosque and, a, and an Islamic center, and they have a school, and they tell the poor Africans that if you can convert to Islam, you'll have free medical treatment, you and your family, and your kids will get free uh, schooling. And uh, because they're all illiterate, you get free education, you get free school uniforms and free meals. 
And so they use that money for that. So they're using that. And so we have been going into those areas and holding crusades. And, uh, but the thing is that, you see, they, they have their petrodollars, but we have the message. Uh, I mean, the United States government doesn't give us a penny to spread the, the message of the gospel, but we do have the message and the power is in the message. So these are some of the areas we are working in. And this Zumba has a, had a large Muslim population because as a result of the slave trade 150, 200 years ago. And so we went in there and did a crusade. And uh, so we planted a church and we f I found this young man, he was a Bible school graduate, put him over that church. Uh, about over 20 years ago, 25 years ago. So we planted this church and 25 years later, this church had grown. He had a congregation of 4,000 people. Plus he had planted 25 or 26 churches all around town because people don't have cars. And so you have to plant churches where they live. So he had 25 or 26 churches in our town. And Zomba is no longer a Muslim majority town because more than half of the people there are Pentecostals. So that is the power of the gospel. So this is in Zomba, Malawi, and the church this, people, this man and his congregation had built. And the next one is, uh, this is uh, our orphanage. When I, uh, you know, in, in Zimbabwe, um, we, there was this ministry that actually started as a result of our first crusade in Zimbabwe 30 years ago. And um, they, you know, it became a denomination with many churches and, and all that. Then the bishop, he died. And so his wife came to me and asked me to take over leadership of this. So we took this over and we have several hundred churches. But one of the things that was a part of the package was a group of orphans. So I saw these kids playing around in the dirt. I said, who are these kids? They said, well, this is your orphanage. <laughs> My orphanage, yeah, you took over the ministry, you took over the orphanage also. I never, I, I love to help orphans, but didn't want an orphanage. So anyway, and these kids were, they were living in poverty and squalor. So I felt from the Lord, we should take care of these orphans. So we have taken care of these orphans, built an ice house from them, given them education. So all of our orphans have now grown up and uh, they have uh, left, you know, their adult life, but we have, I think one or two left. And when this last ones leave, we're gonna start with one more group of orphans, but we are gonna get newborn infants. And the government has asked us, there's a lot, a lot of abandoned children. You know, mothers, was, because of poverty, they just dumped their babies uh, on the street and nobody wants them. So we said, give them to us, so we, we'll start all over again. So the, God blessed us with this house we could build for orphans. And the next one is, uh, this is uh, the dormitory of our Bible school. We have a church planting Bible school. So uh, we send, we train these students for one year, then we send them out to plant churches. And the next picture is, this is the last picture. This is again one of our crusades. So anyway, now you know everything that I know. So <laughs> this is, uh, praise the Lord. The Lord is good, amen. Let's go to Mark chapter 11. The gospel of Mark chapter 11. You're blessed to have a pastor who has a book in the Bible named after him. Amen. Praise God. Mark chapter 11. Now, I'm going to read to you. I'm going to start from 
uh, verse 19. It says, And when evening, or the evening was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning as they passed by, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We, we go, yeah, we go verse 12. In the morning when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now this is a very interesting situation. Jesus comes and he sees a fig tree and he checks, it looks like he, he checked the fig tree and he found nothing but leaves. Now, this is very significant. It really has nothing to do with my message, but I just want you to understand this uh, because it tells us why there were no figs in that tree because it was not the season for figs. Uh, figs uh, fig trees are, are seasonal. There's a season for figs. And so uh, in, there are certain, in the Middle East, there are certain plants that are not seasonal, like citrus trees, you know, lemon. You keep on watering it, and it'll give you lemons year round. But fig trees are seasonal. They give you figs at a given time. But fig trees have a, a very unique feature that when you go to a fig tree long before the season for figs is in, and you look at the branches and the twigs of the fig tree, you will see on each branch these tiny little pods. And each pod indicates that a fruit is, a fig is going to grow at this spot, you know. So the pods actually indicate to the owner of the tree as to how fruitful, how good the tree is. So the farmer would go and check the, the, the tree. He would look at the pods. Sometimes he'd count the pods. And if there's many, many pods, then he would say, this is a good tree. This is going to give a lot of fruit. But if there's no pods, then he would say, this is a useless tree. And then what he would do, what the Bible says, every tree that does not bear fruit, he will cut down and cast into the fire. So what Jesus, this is not really about figs because Jesus wanted it to use a tree to teach his disciples about faith. So he was looking for a tree that was unfruitful, which he could use because God will never curse anything which is fruitful. God will never curse anything which is fruitful. So Jesus looked through the tree and he found nothing but leaves. And then he said, okay, this is a tree that I'm going to use. So he stepped back and he did something he had never done before. He spoke to the tree. He talked to the tree. And he, uh, you know, he said to the tree exactly what he wanted to happen to it. He said, nobody is going to eat fruit from you hereafter forever. And then he walked away from it. Now, I want you to understand this, that, uh, you know, if I wanted to talk to a tree, I would say, God, isn't there any other way we can do it? I've, I don't want to look stupid, you know. Yeah, all these people watching me and I'm talking to a tree. Talking to a person, yes. Talking to a tree, uh-uh, you know. But if God insisted that I must talk to the tree, I would come at night when nobody is around and... And then I would kind of go by the tree and, you know, say something like this. And well, I've talked to the tree. But Jesus spoke to the tree loudly 
so that all his disciples heard it because that was the point. He wanted them to hear and to see what he had done. So he talked to the tree and he said, nobody's going to eat fruit from you forever. And then what he did, he walked away from there. Well, 24 hours later, he's coming back. Verse 19, he says when he was coming back from Jerusalem and when the evening was come, he went out of the city and in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the root. So the next morning, because he had cursed this fig tree and this is the next morning, 24 hours later, as he was passing by, they saw the fig tree dried up and Peter got very excited. He said, Lord, look, the fig tree which you cursed is, is dried up. Look what has happened. And so lesson number one, it says, it shows us that it took 24 hours from the time when Jesus spoke to the tree to the time when the fig tree actually dried up, which shows us that sometimes miracles can take time. Miracles can happen instantaneously, but miracles can take time. Why do miracles? I know that miracles can take time, but I have no explanation why. Nobody knows. <coughs> the only answer I could give somebody said, do you know why miracles take time? I said, it's three words. I don't know. Nobody knows. We only know what the Bible tells us. Bible doesn't tell us why miracles take time. So, so uh, if you are, have asked God for a miracle and it's taken time, firstly, I want you to understand, I want to set you at ease. There's nothing wrong with you. There's thousands of other people ex experiencing the same thing. Now, if you ask me, why is it taking time? I don't know either. God has his own way of doing things. But we do know this much, that when we pray, God always hears us. I was, I was doing a meeting in a place called Gorzhov, Wielkopolska, in Poland. And that night, uh, there, were, there were these people uh, who, who, you know, who came for prayer. And there were several people on wheelchairs. And, and uh, several of them got up and walked. But there was a boy, he was about 18 years old. And uh, he still looked the same. His parents came to me. They said, well, God healed those other people. And our son is still like this. So... Uh, what do we do? I said, firstly, you've got to understand. I said, Where, you saw those other people healed. They said, yes. So I said, that proves one thing, that Jesus is here. Would you agree to that? Because if Jesus wasn't here, nobody would be healed. So if those other people were healed, it's because Jesus was there. They said, we agree. Jesus was here. I said, well, if Jesus is here, is there any reason why he should hear their prayers and not yours? And they said, no. So we can safely say that Jesus has heard your prayer. So this is what we do. I said, every day you look at your son, you just say, thank you, Jesus, that you bore my son's infirmities and by your stripes, my son has been healed. The man of God has prayed for him and you are working your miracle in our son's body right now. I said, just do that every day. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to think God is doing his thing. You do your thing. Your thing is to praise him and thank him and let him do his thing. Well, a year later, I was in the city of Poznan, which is like an hour away, hour and a half away. And they came to Poznan and they told me, they said that ever since that day, we did that. We spoke that with our mouths every day. Thank you, Jesus, that our son is healed by our stripes. And it has taken a whole year. It has been a so slow process. But now our son is healed and is walking normally. Now, 
why is it this way? Why does it happen this way? We don't know. But we thank God that it does happen. But when we stop thanking God, when, in other words, when we stop acknowledging what God is doing, when we stop acknowledging what God is doing, it's like aborting the miracle. Terminating, you know how, how they call abortion a termination of pregnancy. You go in there and kill something living that is there. In the same way, you can go in and kill the miracle by saying, well, God didn't hear, God didn't do anything. It's, it's like a spiritual abortion. You do not terminate the work of God that he's doing in your life by not acknowledging what he's doing and by saying, well, God did not hear, it didn't happen. But we should be giving thanks and praise to God. Amen. And we read about Abraham in, in, in Romans 4, 17. It says how Abraham, he says that he looked at his circumstances, but he gave praises to God. And then he talked about God. He said, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things that be not as though they were. And that is what faith is. Faith is to call those things that do not exist as if they already existed. That is one of the attributes of God. You call things that you cannot see as if they already existed. Isn't that amazing? That's what faith is. To call, and that word, the Greek word call, there is kaleo. That means you declare verbally. You call out. You call out and you speak about those things that do not exist in the natural as if they already did. Amen. Think of that. So you, you acknowledge what God is doing, even though it is invisible. That is that one element of faith. Uh, but the thing that makes it so hard for many people to grasp this, because as human beings, we are so used to, we are so attuned to this seeing is believing thing, you know. We only see those things we believe. So when we see a miracle, we give glory to God if we see it with our eyes. And if we don't see it, it's very hard for us to imagine that God is doing something just because we don't see it. Then we begin to question it. That's human nature. Human nature only acknowledges the, that which one sees. And that is why Peter began to say, oh, Jesus, look, this tree you cursed has withered away. And Jesus said to him, he says, Peter, have the faith of God. Peter, you have the mankind of faith. Because you did not shout, you did not acknowledge anything when I spoke to the fig tree. You had to see that tree dried up before you could acknowledge anything. See, Peter didn't, when Peter, when he saw Jesus curse the fig tree, he didn't say, hallelujah, Jesus has cursed the fig tree. Because he, nothing happened. It looked exactly the same as it was 30 seconds before. It looked exactly the same. So he was quiet. In fact, he must have been wondering what happened because nothing there's nothing physical that has happened, nothing visible that has happened. But as far as Jesus was concerned, he was not moved by what he saw with his eyes. He was only moved by the word that came from his mouth. He knew that as soon as the word has gone out, out of his mouth, it is as he has spoken. He cursed the fig tree and as far as he was concerned, it was done for. It was already dried up. That's why Jesus didn't say, okay, let me pray for it again. Didn't work this time. Or let me give it a good shake and shout at it. By the way, can you have a catcher behind the tree to catch it if it falls? You know, he didn't do that. He just cursed the fig tree and then he kind of walked away. 
24 hours later, the tree was dead. It was shriveled up. And Peter Peter got excited. And so Jesus took that opportunity. He said, Peter, have the God kind of faith. And then he talked about how this God kind of faith works. And he gave, there are two different expressions of faith that he brings up here. Verse 23 is speaking the word. The word is powerful, but it must be spoken. And the second way you express faith is through prayer. (coughs) The first one, Jesus said to Peter, For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, that is anybody, anybody can do this. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. This is very powerful. He didn't say that what God says will come to pass. He said what you say will come to pass. So for us to see miracles, we must take the word of God and put it in our mouth and speak the word of God. When we take the word of God from the book and put it in our mouth and begin to speak the word of God, the word of God in your mouth is as powerful as the word of God in the mouth of God. That's how miracle happens. So sometimes people say, well, I'm believing God. No, it's not a question of what you're believing God for. What is important is what are you saying with your mouth? Because you cannot internalize faith. You have to speak it out. You have to speak it out. The nature of faith is such. And, you know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he said, he said, we having the same spirit of faith, I believe, therefore I have spoken. We therefore believe and we speak. So the nature of faith is that what you believe, you speak it out. So you don't internalize and say, well, I'm believing God. No, it's not what you're believing. It is what you're saying with your mouth. Because that's where the power is. Jesus says, he shall have whatsoever he says. So what is coming out of your mouth? In fact, there's two, four steps to faith. Uh, the first step is, uh, is hearing the word. This is a full picture, you know, hearing the word. You hear the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. So faith, faith isn't just a positive gumui feeling. Faith can produce optimism, but optimism, optimism by itself is not faith. You can be a positive person with a positive outlook in life, that's not faith. Faith comes from the word of God. Faith can create positive thinking, but positive thinking by itself is not faith. So firstly, you've got to hear the word of God. The second thing you have to do is to believe the word of God. Even if it goes against your logic, against your way of believing, you believe the word of God. That's the second thing. Firstly, you hear the word. Secondly, you believe. Thirdly, you speak the word of God. You speak the word of God. Whatever it is you have seen, whatever it is you have believed, you speak. So I tell people that change your vocabulary. Speak the language of faith. Speak the language of healing. Instead of poverty, speak the language of blessing. Amen. Instead of sickness, speak the language of health and healing. So speak. So first, hear. Second, believe. Third, speak. And the fourth is put legs to your faith. Do something with it. 
do something physical with it. Amen. 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 You know, like that famous prophet, James Brown, the godfather of soul. He said, get up off of that thing and dance till you feel better. Get up off of that thing and dance till you feel better. You know what I'm talking about. So you got (laughs) to. Of course, he would always start with, ow, but I. I don't know what that means in Greek, but. But you got to do something with it. Amen. You say, I believe this. So do something with it. Do do something with it. Speak it out and do. Act out your faith. Put legs to your faith. So that's the process of faith. But anyway, here we are talking about speaking the word of God. You shall have whatsoever you say. You say and then verse 24, and that's not my, uh, my main thing. I'm focusing on speaking the word, but I want to bring this up. He says, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And that's the expression of faith that we call prayer, that, that when you pray, when you finish praying and said, amen, you believe that you have already received it and then you shall have it. In other words, if you got it, you'll get it. Amen. 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 You believe you, if you have it in here, you'll have it out here. If you have it in here, you believe that you receive and then you shall have it. And then there's a little caveat here. Verse 25, and when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any that your father also, which is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness is a key. Many people have great faith, but they don't receive anything from God because they're not willing to forgive. There are two things I see in the scripture. You could find other ones, but two main reasons I find where people's faith is hindered. One is they don't want to forgive. And the second reason, when people, when men especially, don't uh, honor their spouses, their wives. The Bible tells us, Peter says it very clearly. If men don't treat their wives right, many men, you know, they come to church, but they're verbally abusive. It's getting very quiet here. I feel the temperature in the room dropping. I could ice skate on these aisles right now. But listen, there, there are men who are not very, very nice to their wives. Right? And in church, my goodness, they look the epitome of holiness. But if you look at the way they are at home, it's terrible. And, 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 and what happens is that the more they are like this, the, the lesser they have of God in their lives and makes them even more frustrated. They get even worse. And just compounds itself. So uh, Peter tells us very clearly that, that men ought to love their wives and treat them honorably. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. In Africa, a lion doesn't fear anybody except the lioness. So if you're scared of your lady, you are a lion. Yes, I just wanted to just. That's a free, that was for free, that's a revelation, guys. So be a lion, amen. I know where that came from, must be inspiration of some kind. But anyway, you you know, it's so important that, you know, we walk in love, we walk in forgiveness and 
no point in just, you know, living and, and, and be nice, be, be loving. You know, it doesn't cost much to be loving and to be kind and, and that kind of thing. And you treat your spouse right and, you know, you, you, you do these things, then you won't have any hindrance to your faith. I know a lot of people who, who, who went to Bible school, they study faith, they know they could get up and teach faith. So uh, have you ever met people who are very good at teaching faith? And people say, wow, he's a great teacher, but he has no fruit. Have right. met people like that, Pastor? And you get up there and you can teach and you think, wow, this guy can preach and teach and why doesn't he have any fruit? There's something wrong. And they never realize there must be he must be missing out in one of these areas in his life that he's not really practicing what he's preaching. Anybody can get up and talk. God once spoke through a donkey. Hello. My words will be forgotten, but that donkey who spoke thousands of years ago, his words are recorded in the Bible. So. You know, anybody can preach, anybody can teach, anybody can say a lot of good things, but it's, it's not how you talk the talk, but it's how you walk the walk. Amen. Amen. And that's where, that's where we got to, we, you know, we got to get straightened out if we really want to walk with Jesus. Because, listen, we, we got to be serious about this thing. We don't play games. We don't play religious games. We, get, we, are, we are dealing with God, Right. And, and, and we know that we do need his presence and his power in our lives. Otherwise, we are sunk. And so, so we need to get serious about these things and make a checklist of our lives and, and get these things straightened out. You know, our love walk and how we treat people, how we treat our spouses, how we treat our kids, how is our family. And if your family is not straightened, go and get some help. There's people there who can help you. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Anyway, so... This is, you know, about speaking the word, the power of the spoken word. And Jesus, that's what he was teaching them. He said, if you speak to this mountain, uh, you know, be removed and be cast in the sea. And you don't doubt, but that, and you say what, you know, whatever you say with your mouth will come to pass. It shall come to pass. So this is a promise of God. It's a wonderful promise that God will make the words of your mouth come to pass. Now let, let's go to Mark chapter 5. Okay, here's an illustration of this principle. So there's a, in verse 25, uh, you know, you heard the story, it's about the, it's the story of the woman with the issue of blood. It says, and a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who toucheth me? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy, flag, of thy plague. So here we have this woman. She has been bleeding for 12 years. 
And a few years ago, there was a woman who was carried uh, on a bed to microsite in Zambia. And she was, I'm an African lady, but she was pale as a sheet. She was actually white as a sheet, and she was like a skeleton. And I asked what was wrong with her, and this she had been bleeding for two years. And every time I think of that woman, I mean, she looked like death itself, bleeding for two years. I wonder what this woman must have looked like, bleeding like this for 12 years. And she was so desperate, she had been to all the doctors she could find and spent all her money, and she didn't get any better, but rather grew worse. And now she's in a very bad shape. And then she was in a house, and Jesus happened to be passing through her village. In fact, Jesus was headed to uh, the next town, to the house of Jairus, a a Jewish priest whose daughter was on the verge of death. And Jesus happened to be passing through this town. So all the people, when they saw it was Jesus, they were kind of thronging around Jesus. So she just heard the noise outside and she heard that it was Jesus. And but this woman, now you've got to understand that people who have suffered like this for so long. They're normally, normally, they're, in my experience, I've found them to be, they're they're kind of disillusioned. They've lost all hope, kind of jaded. You know, they have kind of resigned themselves to their fate and say, you know, I've received prayer from so many people. I've been to so many doctors. Nobody can help me. And if you say to them, look, yeah, we are going to, can you come to church with me? We are praying for the sick. And they, they kind of, they might come just for your sake, but there isn't really an expectation there. They've resigned themselves to die. Normally people are that way who have suffered long. But this woman was an exception because she did have a spark of faith. There was something within her that was left. There was a little spark of faith because it said, that she got up and she came, she decided to go and touch Jesus and she kind of got, somehow she got up out of that bed and she started walking towards where Jesus was. Her body was all weakened, but somehow she pressed on and she kept on pressing on just to touch him. But then it tells us why she did this. It says, verse 28, for she said... If I touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Now, this word said is a very interesting word because when I say in English, I said, she said, it could mean she kind of muttered under her breath. It could mean that she shouted. That word said, or it was she said inside without really uttering anything. But this Word said in the Greek is the word, word is an interesting word. It's a word legu, which means to continually and repeatedly and loudly declare and affirm something. So when she heard that Jesus, it was Jesus who was passing through town, she decided to speak out her faith and she loudly declared, 
I am going to touch his clothes and I'm going to be healed. I am going to touch his clothes and I'm going to be healed. And she began to repeat this again and again. So what she was actually doing, she was speaking and putting her words out there. And by her physical action, she was following her words. She was chasing her words. So she got up out of her bed and she began to say repeatedly, continually affirming and declaring, I'm going to touch his garment and I shall be whole. I'm going to touch his clothes and I'm going to be whole. I'm going to touch his clothes and I'm going to be whole. I'm going to touch his clothes and I'm going to be made whole. I'm going to touch his clothes and I'm going to be made whole. I'm going to touch his clothes and I'm going to be whole. I'm going to touch his clothes and I'm going to be whole. She kept on saying it again and again and again and although her body was weak she pressed through that crowd until she finally came and touched him and the moment she touched him the power of God came all over her body and she was healed and Jesus said who touched me and the disciples said Lord everybody's touching you he said no there's a difference between different kinds of touch this was a touch of faith because I felt the power go from me she pulled the power of God out of him but she declared something. She said something. And her actions of going through the crowd and touching him was actually she was following the words that she was speaking. That is why it is so important for us to speak the word. Speak the word. Doesn't matter how sick you are or what you have been through in life. It doesn't have to be sickness. It can be any situation. Speak the word. 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 And when you're sick and tired of speaking the word, speak the word even more. And speak the word and speak the word and speak the word. Because God in Jeremiah 1.12, it says, I'm watching over my word and I'll, I'll perform it. Hallelujah. Amen. So there's power in the speaking of the word of God. Now, I want to, I want to finish this with, by telling a story. You know, when I was a young, it was 40 years ago, 41 years ago, I was a young evangelist in Sweden. I'm still a young evangelist, but I'm not in Sweden. But <laughs> that's the only difference. And uh, I was, I just gotten baptized with the Holy Spirit and I was new to this whole teaching on faith about this was new to me about God you know healing the sick and all that because the church I used to go to didn't believe in that stuff the whole denomination I wouldn't tell you which denomination it was because if I told you the Lutherans would get mad at me but uh, anyway so anyway so I got baptized with the Holy Spirit and I was reading Brother Hagin's books and reading my Bible. And when I was reading Brother Hagin's books and I was seeing things in the Bible I'd never seen before. And I, I had made up my mind, everything I read in the Bible, I'm going to practice. And uh, I remember when I was reading Mark 16, which I'd read many, many times, it says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. I said, them that believe, I believe. So these signs shall follow me and let me check what these signs are. In my name you shall cast out devils. So I began to look for people who had devils, you know, so I could cast out. Got into a lot of trouble. And, and uh, I even said, do you have devils? Is anything bothering you? And, uh, 
And no, some people kind of thought I was creepy, you know, in their eyes. And anyway, then, then I began to look for sick people. I would pray for sick people, and, uh, which didn't make me popular in church, and especially on the streets. I, crutches were a magnet for me. If somebody had crutches, I would go to them, didn't, know, didn't care who they were, yank their crutches, pray for them. Now, the good thing was in Sweden, Sweden isn't a litigious society like in America. America, everybody sues everybody else for every little thing. Sweden, we don't have lawsuits. People can get mad at you, cuss you out, and yell at you, but nobody will sue you, which is an advantage, you know, for me. So I, I used to go to people, and I used to get on buses and pray for people until they stop at the next stop, and they would throw me out. Then I found out trains were good, because trains, they couldn't throw me out until the next station. So I had several hours, you know, so anyway. So I was doing this, and then one day, um, one day, uh, I was on a train, and there was this woman who had an incurable disease, and she got healed. Uh, I don't want to go into all the details. Well, this lady got healed, and after that, um, a, a lay, a, there was an elderly missionary lady, a retired missionary. She heard of this. Well, somebody who was on the train knew her, and she called me. She said, were you praying for people on the train? And this woman got healed. I said, yeah. She said, I knew it had to be you. So anyway, so she says, can you go to my home church and preach there? I said, well, if they receive me. She said, okay, I'll call the pastor. So this was in the south of Sweden, seven hours away by train. And uh, so pastor called me. We organized. I'll be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, preached. And I came there. It was a tiny Lutheran church with 40 people. Uh, it was a small church building they had with about 60, 50, 60 seats in it. And there were 40 people in that congregation. And I, I came there like, you know, this was my first time ever preaching in a church, preaching in a church. So I decided I'm going to hit them with everything I had. And so the first night, everybody got baptized with the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, including the pastor. And in fact, he was stiff as a board. He, he was on the ground and he was stiff as a board. So when the service ended, uh, he was in the picture up. He was stiff as a board. They couldn't fold him, you know. So, so finally, they didn't know how to take him home. It was getting late. So somebody had a Volvo station wagon and they put him in the back, you know. They, so they put him in the back, and, but his feet were sticking out. So they kept the, what do you call it, the, huh? the back door, you know open and somebody sat with him holding him because unless he slid out, you know, they carried him home and he was like that eight in the next morning and he was speaking in tongues and his wife was calling me like the whole night. She was calling me every two hours, shouting at me, crying what I had done to her husband and, you know, he's speaking gibberish like all night. Anyway, but Saturday we had good meetings, people were healed and Sunday morning, Sunday night, the place was packed out. So I, I looked and on the, in the last row, right in the aisle, the middle aisle, there was a, a lady. She was wearing a very nice dress. She had, you know, a beautiful lady in her late 30s. She had her hair nicely done, was wearing makeup. And she sat in the back holding a, a boy about 9 or 10 years old. So I knew there was something wrong with the boy because he was not sitting on his own, but his mother was carrying him. So when I asked, is there anybody who wants prayer? The lady got up and she came to the front carrying this boy. And she stood there holding him. I said, 
I said, Madam, please sit down. So she sat down. I said, what's wrong? And what's wrong here? And she said, it is my son. He cannot walk. Now, she didn't, what she didn't tell me, which I found out later, was that this boy had an incurable disease because of which all this calcium was being drained from his bones and his muscles were atrophying and he was dying and that he was the third known case in the world with this disease. There was no name for this disease. There was no cure. There was no treatment. But you know, these doctors and researchers, they talk to each other. So they had registered him as the third kid with this symptom and nobody knows what it was. And this family was quite wealthy. They had taken him to their different countries and, and they had taken bone marrow samples, you know, just trying to find something for him before he died because he was dying. And they said, my son cannot walk. And, and you know what? I'd learned one thing there. Sometimes it's good not to know everything because when you know everything, your mind gets in the way. You know, God wants to do great things, but if your mind gets in the way, you're in trouble. So all I knew was this, this boy could not walk. But even that was big for me because until that time, I had never seen anybody even pray for a lame person. I didn't know what to do. And I had never heard of any lame person in our modern times getting healed. And... Uh, I, I had no idea what I was going to do. This was before I went to Rama, where they teach how the lame walk, you know. Well, they don't. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Um, but but I, I had no idea. I didn't know what to do. And here's this boy, and he's lame, and his mother says, can you pray for my son? And I thought, oh, so what do I do now? Because I preached this message, and you know, built up expectations and I don't know what to do. Then I remembered Brother Hagen had written a booklet on the eight or seven or eight different ways that God uses to heal the sick. And one is the prayer of faith and the second is laying out of hands. Then, you know, prayer cloths and, and anointing oil. So I learned these seven or eight different ways to heal the sick. So I thought, I got a wise idea. I'm going to do all of them and one of them is going to work. You know, I'm going to do all of these and one of them is going to work. So the first thing I did, I stood in front of the boy and I said, okay, I was ticking off my list. You know, I could see an invisible list. I was going through their list. Okay, I prayed a prayer of faith and I knew how that was done. I'd read in Brother Hagen's booklet. So I prayed for the prayer of faith. I said, now number two is anointing. No, is laying on of hands. So I laid my hands on that boy's head and I gave him a Pentecostal massage. I <laughs> prayed with him thoroughly. I mean, I really laid hands on him. So laid hands on him. And then the third thing, I'm going to anoint him with oil. Now, back in the early 80s, all young preachers, we used to carry a small bottle of anointing oil. And, and I took my oil out and I took some on my fingertip and made a little dab on his forehead. And I thought, no, this won't get the job done. This is, we need a big miracle. So I, I emptied that little bottle on the boy's head and, you know, empty a bottle. And then I saw a little trickle of olive oil coming down. I said, that's pathetic. So I used to carry a one liter refill bottle. I, I always used to keep it behind the pulpit. So I said, wait a minute. I brought my one liter bottle and unscrewed the cap and poured the whole thing on that boy. So he was covered with olive oil 
his mother's thousand dollar dress was ruined and there was oil all over him and I said, now that is more like it, you know. And then I thought, I'm going to pray over my prayer cloth. So I took a hand, my handkerchief. I prayed for it with all my heart. And then I put it on the boy's head. And that's number four. Number five, I'm going to cast out devils. And I began to cast out devils. I was screaming at the devil to come out. And I'm thinking, if there's any devils there, they're going to come out. By the time I'm done with them. The de then I thought, but what if there's no devils there? Well, no harm done, you know. So... So I was doing all that, and then it came time to give Holy Communion. So I looked at Pastor Eric, that was his name, Eric Okerman. He's sitting in the corner with his, just like this. So I said, Pastor, do you have any Holy Communion? And he did like this, you know, And anyway, I said, well, I couldn't do this much, but God knows my heart. And then the prayer of agreement, Matthew 18, 19, if two or three here on earth agree on anything, so I'm gonna pray, prayer of agreement. I said, Pastor Eric, would you come and stand with me? And he goes like this again. So I said, Lord, I have done everything I know what to do, except the last two, because this man of God won't cooperate with me. So I said, Lord, what should I do? So anyway, then I said, then the mother looks at me. She said, now what? I said, now what? Your boy is healed. She said, he is? I said, let, he's healed. Because I've done everything that the Bible tells us. So she took the she stood her son up and he fell on the ground. And then I'm thinking quick, you know, quick thinking. And I said, well, in the Bible, the prophet said to Naaman, you have to dip seven times in the river Jordan. You've got to do this seven times. And I was hoping, please God, maybe the third time. No, no, the fourth time, the fifth time. Well, seven times she did, seven times the boy fell down. And then she picked him up again. And she says, now what? I said, now what? I said, I've done everything I know how to do. And there's only one thing left. And that is God is doing what he can do. And she said, so what should I do? I said, just one thing. And this is, this is the nuclear option, I said. And that is, I want you every time you look at your boy, I want you to say with your mouth, say with your mouth, doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in a shopping center, wherever you are, but you say with your mouth, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you bore my son's infirmities and diseases, and by your stripes he has been healed. The man of God has prayed for him, and he is healed. I declare that. She says, my husband will think I'm crazy because he's not saved. I said, well, you want your boy to live or die? She said, I want my boy to live. I said, well, that's what you do. Anyway, so uh, the service ended. Pastor Eric didn't come to thank me. He disappeared <laughs> and didn't shake my hand. She said goodbye. I was staying in someone's home. That brother drove me home and he was sympathetic. He was trying to be nice. But, uh, but you know, anyway, the next morning he took me to the train station and I'm on the train back to Uppsala, Sweden, where I was living. And you know, during that seven hour train journey, I fought the biggest mental battle of my life. It was like I, there were all these voices telling me, Christopher Alam, that kid is going to die and it's going to be your fault and your ministry is finished. Because Sweden is a small country, eight, nine million people. Everybody's going to hear about it and you are finished. And all I said was this. I said, devil, I want you to know this. I did what the word of God says. And the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. My God is true. That's the God I serve and his word is true. And I was hearing this voice. I was fighting this battle. And you know, everything, 
uh, within me, uh, like uh, my education, the way my education had taught me to reason, logic, my way of thinking, everything rose up against me and told me I was wrong, that boy was going to die, and I had to fight all that. So I come home after seven hours. I, I, I ring the doorbell, my wife opens the door, and I say, honey, I'm back home. She said, I know, I want you to call that pastor Eric. He's been calling all day. And my first thought was, ooh, the boy's dead, you know. <laughs> and, and, but I didn't say it out. Sometimes when you think things, don't say it out. When you're going to speak faith, you speak faith. You don't, you kill your doubts and speak your faith. So that's one thing I've learned. So she said, no, no, you got to call him. I said, let me eat something. She said, no, no, before you eat, you got to do the right thing. Call that man has been calling you. So I picked up the phone. I said, hello, Pastor Eric. This is Christopher. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. How's the weather down there? How's your family? I was trying to make small talk because the last I saw him, he was mad at me. And he said, brother Christopher, listen, listen. He says, I want you to call this lady. In those days, we didn't have cell phones, mobile phones. So she said, this, you remember the lady, the mother of the little boy? I said, yeah. She said, can you please call her? She's desperately trying to reach you. So I called the lady and she says, oh, Brother Christopher, I'm so glad you called. She said, uh, I want to tell you, because I came home and I was doing what you said. Every time I looked at my boy, I said what you wanted me to say. I said, thank you, Jesus, that you bore my son's diseases, carried his pains and infirmities, and by your stripes he's healed. The man of God has prayed for him, and my son has been healed. I thank you. And she said, I kept on doing this. This morning I was making breakfast. I had him on a little mat on the floor, when suddenly he stood up. And he walked two steps. And then he fell down again, and he's still the same. She said, what's going on? What should I do? I said, God is at work. Don't put your finger in God's work. Don't get, don't, don't interfere. Don't try to figure out what's happening. Just keep on saying what I told you to say. Just keep on giving glory to God, giving glory to Jesus, and thanking him, and let God do his thing. And this is my number. Gave her my number. I said, call me anytime. She called me the next day. She says, Pastor Christopher, this morning, Matthias, that was his name, Matthias. She said, Matthias got up and he walked four steps and he fell down again. I don't know what's going on. I said, God is at work. Let him do his thing. We just have to give thanks and praise to him and speak his word, speak his word. Third day, he got up and walked four steps. And the fourth day, she was hysterical. She said, he has been running around since morning and you can't tell that anything was wrong with him. And uh, the boy was completely, totally healed. Anyway, I saw that boy once a couple of years later. Then uh, I should say, many years passed, I lost touch with the family. And we, I go back to Sweden every year, you know, to visit relatives. So I was back in Sweden a couple of years ago, a few years back, and I found this lady, uh, her number, and I called her. And I said, Brigitte, this is Pastor Christopher. And she said, oh, Pastor Christopher, how are you doing? I said, I'm fine. I said, how are you doing? She said, well, I'm old and I'm retired now. I said, what about Matthias? She said, oh, he is living in Norway. He's married. He has, I think, three children, and he has his own business, and he is, he, he's doing so well, and, and, and you know, so I, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm now in contact with that young man. He's almost 50 years old, and he lives in Norway, has a family, and he runs marathons as a, uh, for, as a hobby. 
So he ran in Barcelona, in London, and all that. And 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 uh, he, you know. And and here's the thing, that, you know, I thought of that. I thought of this little boy, and I thought uh, he could have died, 1980. I mean, he could have been dead. He could have died then. And uh, his mother passed away a couple of years ago, and there'd be no one to remember him. You know, he died 40, he was a 10-year-old kid. He died 40 years ago. His mother is also dead. Nobody would remember him. He would maybe be a statistic in a medical journal somewhere written by doctors. He was the third known case in the world, and he died like everybody else died. And, and then I suddenly saw like a vision, like a picture of a book with empty pages. And the Lord said, this would have been the book, the story of his life. A book, but with no life, no story in it. But now there's a full book with a full story of his life and how he has grown up. And he met this girl and married her and they had three children. And he lives in Norway, has a business. And, and you know, and I thought the, the kid has a, he grew up to be a grown up man, almost 50 years old, and he has a life. And it's because of a savior, because of a somebody called Jesus, who was whipped and beaten and crucified, who died upon a cross for him, and who upon the cross bore upon his own self all of these young boys' diseases and carried his infirmities. And because of that man, Jesus, this boy can now walk. The other factor was this boy's mother, she decided to, against all hope, she decided to take a stand and believe. And she believed the words of a young, inexperienced preacher, who you might say had more zeal and wisdom, uh, zeal than wisdom, who didn't know much, but the little he did know, he believed in it. And this mother, believed in the words of that young preacher and took a stand for her son. And because of her stand of faith, the young man is alive today. You see, it is easy to believe what people say and give up. It is easy to look at some situations and say that this is impossible, right? and give up because it is supposedly impossible. But I have a book called the Bible in which says, the things that are impossible with man, they are possible with God. And with God, nothing is impossible. And we have a savior who died upon a cross and who rose again from the dead and who is at the right hand of the father interceding for you and me. And he's a savior, he's a healer, he's a deliverer. Amen. Amen. So, Matthias, uh, still alive. I go through my Facebook and sometimes just to look at his picture. I see his picture. See what he has become. So, when you take a stand in faith, it can change your life. Or it can change the life of somebody who you love. 
somebody who is dear to you. Hallelujah. Amen. The other thing is that Jesus Christ is still the same yesterday, today and forever. And the Bible is still true, beloved, no matter what people say. The Bible is still the word of God. It is still true. And anybody who believes in it, who puts his faith in it and speaks its words, will see the power of God. Hallelujah. I really believe that. And that is for today. Amen. I'm not futuristic about my faith, but now Jesus, he said, where two or three of us are gathered together in his name, he's there in the midst of them. So I believe that he is, I know it'll be wonderful when we're in heaven, but I believe he's here right now. Amen. Amen. We hope you're inspired by today's message. If you want to hear more from the word of God, head over to cwol.org. Check us out on YouTube or any social platform under at Madison. We believe God is working within you and we want you to know him so you too can make him known.